This is the Zealous Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Snyder, and this week I've got Ted Rath on the show. He is the Vice President of Player Performance for the juggernaut NFL team, Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to jump right in to find out what goes on behind the scenes of getting players to peak performance. It's not all going to be about how you lift or what you lift. So be sure to follow us on Instagram at Rocky underscore Snyder. Click the subscribe button and enjoy the show. Well, this week, I am going back into the NFL. I've invited Ted Rath on for this week's episode, and he is the Vice President of Player Performance for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, you know, you've been listening long enough. I grew up in New England, in Boston. So for the last 20 years, I've been living the high life, uh, even though growing up in the 70s and 80s, it wasn't the case when we talk about the Patriots. And of course, week one, who do the Pats go against but the Eagles? So there's there's no hard feelings here. You guys put on a good show, and now you're sitting three and zero. Oh. Ted, welcome to Zealous. Rocky, thank you, man. I'm I'm honored to be here. Really appreciate you, but also the platform you've created, what you're doing for the profession, man. You're doing some awesome stuff, and I don't feel bad, Rocky, because you had like 20 years of really really spoiled fandom. So you you guys had all your fun. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And we're kind of going one to one with the Super Bowls too, like early years, 2003, four. Uh, we, we had our, our go with the, the Eagles and then you guys got us a little bit later. So, you know, it's all even, it's all good and it's all competition. What I want to know is how did you land this gig? Like how did Ted Rath get to climb the ladder? And I'm sure that you're not satisfied with where you are necessarily because I know you're a lifelong learner and, and I have this feeling that there's more that you want to achieve. But right now at this moment, how did you get to where you are? Man, great question. You got to do a really a deep dive. I think, number one, I'll say this, I'm very blessed to be where I am because I've been fortunate to be surrounded by phenomenal people that I've learned from, that have you know bought in from a mentorship standpoint, that have really given me so much, Rocky, that's helped me develop into the path of where I am. And hopefully I do, like you said, continue to develop. That's my goal. Be happy, never satisfied. But I do want to maintain the attitude of always being a lifelong learner. And I think that's helped me. I think that's helped me along my path because you know, I've been fortunate to get opportunities, but I've also seen other people maybe have similar opportunities that haven't exactly panned out the same way. So a lot of it, I would go back to just trying to maintain that lifelong learner attitude, even whether I knew how to um, articulate that at that point, probably not. I've been in the league for 15 years. And at that point, I was just trying to be the best strength coach I could be every day learn, read research, do things that set me above and beyond anyone else, basically my competition and the people that I was competing for roles with. But from that, throughout that process, it's been when you get an opportunity, maximize that opportunity. So once you get presented with something, it's great. And some people do luck out more than others. But part of that is also being ready. When you do aim yourself and arm yourself with preparation on top of those opportunities, I believe that great things can happen. And, and hopefully, you know, I've set the tone of, what you can accomplish in this profession. And I do feel like I have a long way to go, but also at the same point, I think once you get an opportunity, it's your job to be prepared for it and then to dominate that role. Don't look ahead of where you want to be maybe in one year, two years, five years, 10 years. Look at your current role. If you dominate your role, good things will happen. It always takes care of itself. And just like John Wooden said, the score will take care of itself. It does inevitably every single time when you manage and control the day-to-day -day disciplines of what you should be doing on that day. I, I always think back to the five P's somebody shared with me. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. That's what you're talking about right there. And so <clears throat> how do you sharpen your axe? How do you how do you hone your skill? Like when you wake up in the morning, 
what's the first thing you do? Man, great question again. I love it, Rocky. The first thing I do, I, I call it, I've stole this from someone. I, I wish I could give them credit. I don't even remember where I heard this. I take the toe test. So when I get up, one of my things, and this scares the crap out of my wife, but when I get up, my toes got to hit the ground as fast as possible. So for me, never hitting snooze, it's getting rid of that alarm clock, bam, moving on, whether it's three in the morning, whether it's five in the morning, it doesn't matter whatever your daily process is, how fast you get out of bed and how fast are you ready, are you ready and willing to attack that day? So for me, it's part of that process. And then the next thing I do, Rocky, is get on my knees and I thank God, I pray, I'm a Christian. So for me, it's getting my mindset into that gratitude practice of, man, I have a lot to be thankful for. I wake up every day and blessed to have beautiful kids, a beautiful wife. And some of the things that I've been afforded in life are because of hard work, but also those opportunities and those luck moments being surrounded by really good people. So I hit the ground and I pray. And then my day starts there. My day is filled, especially the first couple hours. I try to be very selfish, I guess, is for lack of a better term. I'm reading, I'm reading scripture, I'm reading personal development books, I'm listening to podcasts like this, I'm putting myself into the frame of mind to maximize that first hour to two hours of my day, so that when I'm done with that, I can check that box, know that I've devoted time to myself, and now I can transition and shift to what do I have to do and how can I impact other people's lives in this day, whether it's inside the building for the Philadelphia Eagles, pouring into a player, a coach, scheduling something better for our team from travel perspectives, whatever it is, I want to be able to devote 100% of myself to that. And if I don't get my morning set to where I set myself up for that, it's going to be hard for me to get myself into a position where I can help others. Yeah, you've just described profile characteristics of champions. Basically, if we look at the best of the best in whatever sport or, or activity, we'll see a lot of those common commonalities there. The, the fundamental foundations I have Graham Betchard, who's the mental skills coach for the Sacramento Kings on a few weeks back. And we talked about the exact same things like spiritual principles, really doesn't matter which, which uh, organized belief or, or unorganized belief you might have. There's certain undercurrents that emanate through like uh, acceptance, gratitude, humility, being teachable and, and having that, that, that focus. How did that come about? I mean, is that, is that how you were brought up or, or did you have mentors along the way that, that got you into where you are? Yeah, uh, both. You know, I've been spoiled. I've been blessed. Like I said, number one, I was raised with a, a Christian background. I think you do take on some of those qualities when you do hopefully you ascend to a leadership type of role. You look at it from a humble leadership perspective and you try to do the best thing for your people. And it's not leaders eat last. I could go through a thousand books of, you know, what you try to set yourself up as, but I was I was fortunate and I have great parents. They're still alive, thank God. And they're still teaching me principles and seeing them. They were high school sweethearts. I eventually married my high school sweetheart and seeing just that on display every day. And not that well, I'm not perfect. My parents aren't perfect. No one is, but I got to learn through seeing that. And then along the way, I really got brought up and we, we grew up in a very rural setting. I grew up, my grandfather owned a farm literally right beside our house. So doing the day-to-day -day hard work, getting to go outside, learning what it meant to bale hay in a Michigan summer in August and sweat your butt off and be a member of 4-H and do some cool things and maybe not everyone's experience, but just growing up and seeing what hard work is and watching farmers and watching some of the people that I had in my life devote and they're waking up at three four in the morning too rocky it's just like kind of a strength coach's life and i see the grind that they're willing to go through and watching how they dominate that so i had great examples from that and then as i developed into my career path and even high school sports seeing coaches that did a tremendous job 
of really instilling in me discipline, daily habits, the consistent routines that will lead to long-term objective success. And those were the, the people, the men and the women that have helped shape me. So I think I've been spoiled with great men and women in my life. I've been very spoiled with some of the people I've, as I've ascended and gotten to work with, both people that I've worked for and with. And that's really something that I continue to learn from. I'm learning from people every single day. It doesn't matter what level, if it's a general manager or someone that's a part of my staff or someone else that I just come across from, I think you can pull something from everyone, Rocky. And I've been very fortunate to have some really good people around me. Now that that appears obvious. I mean, it, you wouldn't be where you are, I, I don't think. I'm curious, though. You Strength coach, strength conditioning coordinator. Uh, there's many titles to that. But you came into the NFL in that realm of strength conditioning. Now you're vice president of player performance. So that involves a whole bunch more than just strength conditioning. What was it that as you're going through this career path in strength conditioning that you started to expand your horizon, so to speak, and break out of just the, the program design into more, into the, the mental aspect, into the spiritual components, all the other things, what was it? Man, I love that question. If I, one of the things that popped into my head, even as you were asking that Rocky and going through it, people, people kept kind of coming to my mind and what, what do I love about the job and what do I love about it? Because with the ascension and with more things, you're dealing with more problems too. You're dealing with fires and you're dealing with all sorts of stuff. So all the time that's, I don't love meetings. I sit in meetings way more often than I would like to at this point in my career, but part of that comes with it. But as you were saying that, I started thinking about what my driving force is and part of what my why is within this it's developing great relationships but connecting emotionally spiritually with other people finding out what their burn is what their why is like what's your motivating factor whether i'm talking to a player a rookie or a 15-year nfl vet digging down deep and finding out what drives them what motivates them who are the people that impacted them and helped them create this path of success i love that aspect of it and that's what man this profession you meet people from all walks of life, Rocky, as you know, and you get to have some of the deepest, most prophetic conversations. I've had people impact me that are much younger than I, that I can learn from, whether they're athletes, coaches, and the people aspect is what it's all about. And when you think about it, that's life, right? It's not performance. It's not strength and conditioning. If you can really find enjoyment and true happiness and joy from interacting and connecting with people, you're going to do all right in life. I firmly believe that. That. Love your answers. So you talk about the why and you talk about uh, the rookies and the veterans. I'm curious, how do you start that conversation? How do you explore something that is at the core of their essence, that is their driving force? It is something that is has a, a protective shell over it more often than not. And even though it's this warm, gooey center that once you connect with it, you know, you feel that force, you feel that 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 God moment, right? Uh, how do you get there? Man, love it. Love the question. Again, for me, it starts with my core values. My core values are, are pretty simple. It's faith, love, empathy, and consistency. So if I approach everything from a faithful, humble background setting, then it's probably going to put me in light of, of approaching a situation the right way. And then love, man, just doing things out of the love for fellow man, for fellow people and trying to do the right thing. And, and that entails empathy as a huge quality. So for me, it's trying to see everyone's perspective from where they're coming from. I can't put myself into 20 years of a history of an athlete who's coming in and say, I know exactly where you're coming from. I might not. 
I might have similarities with more people than I do with others. But for me, that empathetic view allows me to put myself in their shoes and hopefully see the situations, basically detachment. Jocko Willing talks about it. Detach yourself from the situation so that I can see it from their point of view. And then for me, man, I love this. Consistency to me is one of the most important aspects in life. So if you are consistent, consistency will lead you to long-term success. I always say consistency is really the truest measurement of performance in any realm. So if I can consistently show up, I'm not going to have that deep conversation on day one, Rocky. I'm not going to have it on day two, day three, week three, week five, month. I've had players, it's taken me years to break that shell and to finally get in and be like, man, trigger. That's exactly what I was working for. Now we connected on a deeper level. I understand this player's why. I can help them and motivate them better. And hopefully that's going to lead to their long-term success and help their families for generations. That's what motivates me, man. And when you look at it, if you can do that consistently each and every day, you're eventually going to break through and be there. And sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes you're going to have tough conversations that will lead you to deeper trust because you also have to be vulnerable, Rocky. And this is what I've found. Vulnerability will help build trust. It's like the glue that kind of brings people together and holds them together. I have to be willing to show them that vulner vulnerability first, though. I can't expect somebody to just break down all these walls day one. And I tell our athletes, don't trust me. Over time, I will gain it. I will earn it because I have faith that I'm doing this for the right reasons. So it takes time and it takes consistency. How do you show your vulnerability? You know, honestly, having deep conversations. I've shed tears with players. I'm not too, I'm not too big of a manly man to admit it. I've had players walk in and drop some very life-heavy stuff on me where they shut my door in the office and they're like, hey, bro, can I talk? And we go through, we go through a ringer and I'm like, hey, that allows me to share an opportunity or share a moment of something maybe I've struggled with or been through in my life that has been maybe something that you would consider adversity, but has led me to a better outcome. So for me, it's being willing, not just saying on a podcast, hey, I'll be vulnerable. It's when you close the door and we have deep conversations, I'll share some of the things that I've failed at. I'll share some of the things that maybe I've screwed up that I needed to learn from. But now hopefully you don't have to make the same mistake. Learn from my mistakes so that I can help you and teach you and lead you through this. And man, I've had people do the same thing with me. And I think that's when you can have that life-changing interaction where you build that trust, you build that connection, Rocky. And that's a special thing when you can get that. Yeah, I feel experience comes from our mistakes. It's not from our successes. And if we can grow from our mistakes and learn from it, that's where experience occurs. So to, to be vulnerable is a huge component of, of getting somebody to go beyond where they think they're capable of going. Can you give me, without naming names, I, I would love an example of, of something along that line. Like it, you, you have this heart-to-heart -heart moment with a player and, and there's change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot that come to mind. Obviously, there's a ton. I won't leave any names. I'll give one general one because it happens probably more than a lot of other ones. So it could be, I'll put a player, in, for instance, in there who maybe doesn't have the playing time or maybe doesn't have the contract that they're hoping for. Maybe they're in a contract year. I've had situations where I've been in contract years. I've been in situations where I've either written out a contract or, you know, kind of gamble on yourself and you go into a season where you're like, hey, I'm going to have opportunities after this year. So being able to sit down and say, hey, man, I know where you're at. 
I can sense where you're at. I've been in a similar situation. Let me tell you about my experience and go through the process because I'll tell you what that is, Rocky. It's a mental grind. It is mentally and psychologically exhausting. In the grand scheme of things in the NFL, it's a long season already. Last year, we went seven months basically straight. You don't get any days off. You're working on average 14 to 16 hour days. You're hopefully seeing your kids a couple times at night to put them to bed and they remember they have a father and it's, it's tough. It's all worth it. I'll say that because we do get special privileges and we get so many cool things that my children are able to experience because we put in this effort, but going through that, talking to a player about, Hey, be prepared because here's, what's going to happen. You're going to get these little voices that are going to start talking to you. It's going to be very negative and you're going to listen to all these things. And John Gordon does a great job. I talked to John a lot. Stop listening to yourself. Start talking to yourself. So some of the applications of what have helped me through those situations, I can share with that player and say, when you have one of those down days, man, text me, call me, let me know, or come in here, drop in, let's talk through it. Because if I know one thing, it's this. If you try to attack this on your own, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle. And it's going to be a battle. Bring your team closer. Bring the people together that you know can help you and they're in it for the right reasons. Because I've done the same in the situations where I've been maybe out on, you know, a, a a job where I want to get the next job or I want to have the next thing, those mental and those psychological challenges, when you rely on people, inevitably every single time, Rocky, it ends better for you because you build that team, you build that connection, you build that trust through being vulnerable in those situations. So the the great American way in the, the corporate scheme of things is is often this case where you have somebody that is a brilliant technician they're skilled craftsmen at what they are doing. And then the higher ups say, wow, we need to have this person be able to reproduce amongst the other workers this level of, of work and craftsmanship. So we're going to take them out of that, technic, that technician position and put them up into a management position. But often is the case that technician is not a manager and therefore does not know how to reproduce what they have that is intrinsic and almost by nature their own. That doesn't seem to be the case for you. You start as a strength conditioning coach and now in your role with player performance, you are, you are up in that management position. My question is this, Ted, how does that work? I, like what, what sets you apart aside from being a brilliant technician, to be able to reproduce. I appreciate the kind words first and foremost, Rocky. That means a lot. For me, I think I always come back to congruence. So when, you know, I was very blessed. I've always loved and had a passion for training, for, for, for performance and everything that it can bring to you physiologically. Through that path, though, as I've gone through even my playing career, I've always had this passion to lead people. I've always had a deep desire to hopefully leave someone, whether I'm speaking to a group of people or a one-on-one -on -one conversation. My goal, my desire is number one, to learn from that person, but also to leave them in a better place. And hopefully they can learn something from me. And part of that comes with leadership. And I'll, I, you know, through my career, especially in the NFL, probably the first three, four, five years, if you found me on a flight, I was digging through research. I was reading anything I could on acute chronic ratios, monotony and strain, hamstring protocols, whatever it was. And I'm writing like a madman and highlighting. Over the years, that's transition. And several people have played a role in this. Jim Caldwell was one, Jim Schwartz. I've worked for some incredible head coaches. But as I watched those people and, the, and those men and women that have been in my life lead, I said, all right, what's different? Man, they read a lot. They learn a lot. 
they surround themselves with equal or like-minded people that are also lifelong learners. So I started to take on some of those traits. I started to read leadership, personal development books, listen to certain podcasts, things like that. And I think that's helped me grow into that point. But I'll say this, Rocky, because I've been fortunate to be on the side where I've hired some phenomenal people, and that's really why I'm here. They all make me look really good because I've just been blessed to surround myself with really good workers, but better people. I would say this, hire the person first and hire the skill set second. If I hire the right people with the right backgrounds, with the right core values, with the right work ethic, with the right everything, all the intangibles, that will equate to a dominant employee in whatever realm we're talking about, in the cafeteria, the massage therapy room, performance room, sports science. If I get the right person, I can train them certain skills. If I get the wrong person, but they are highly skilled, they're going to be really good at that one skill that I hired them for. But the adaptability, working with other people, becoming a team player, connecting with other players and other performance staff members and other staff members, that becomes an issue. So for me, hire the person first, hire the skill second. When you get that, Hopefully you can build that person. You raise them into some of the skills that they might need to further develop as they become into that role. So you mentioned a whole bunch of different departments, sports science, massage therapy, diet, nutrition, strength conditioning, and so on. The, the list is almost ad infinitum. It's it just, it keeps expanding. And, and the nice thing is with the resources that you have at your disposal, you can keep growing that. Uh, but with that comes more complexity. So, and, and there needs to be a, a, a development of, of organization in there. Is that one of your skill sets too? Organizational kind of, kind of psychology? Yeah, I would say I'm very skilled at that. I'm very skilled at bringing in the right people. I would say the one thing I struggle with sometimes, which I think is not uncommon, once again, I'll show some vulnerability. It's hard for me to delegate certain things, Rocky, because I have so many things where I see it in my head and I'm like, here's exactly what I want. Over time, I've gotten much better. The funny thing is I see other people, whether they're part of my staff or, or cross-departmental, I see other people struggling with that. But being able to help those people through it, because once again, hey, I'm going to sit you down. We're going to have a one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going to praise you in public. I'm going to bring you in and hopefully help you on some of the things you can improve in private. So for me, as I go through them, I can say, hey, I struggled with the same thing. Here's how I started to get over it. And here's what's allowed this to grow. Because look at what you guys are doing. And look at how you guys have dominated these things. You've taken it above and beyond what I could do individually. So the organizational structure, I think you have to be really good at this. And I do feel that I'm, I'm somewhat talented at this. Being able to zoom out and then being able to dive right back in. You have to have this unique ability. And it's got to be fluid and dynamic. I got to be able to zoom out to a 30,000 foot view and see man, this department, that department, all these interworking functions, and then throw 90 players on top of it, a staff of 25 coaches and all these other workings in between. You got to be able to manage up and manage down. But then in the nitty gritty, if there's something that needs addressed, I better be able to zoom into that one, one degree view where I'm like, hey, this needs to be tweaked. Let's fix this. Let's work on that. Let's improve this. Bam, next. And then zoom back out. So I think there's a strategy to that. Once again, I'll bring up detachment. You have to be able to detach from certain situations because if I'm in the middle of the weeds, I can't see everything going on around me. But Rocky, when I zoom out and I can take in that global look, I can see everything and how it's interacting and interwoven within the other interconnected areas of that role, department, whatever it is in that situation. How do you reduce the distractions, the the static, the outside noise that is continually, I'm sure, bombarding? It does for me every day, and it's a it is definitely something that that I struggle with to maintain focus in what I'm doing. But you've got so many 
pieces of the machine constantly humming and moving, how do you stay focused? You have to prioritize. So part of that ability to detach, especially as you grow in management and you have more, more things or more people, which you're responsible for, you have to be able to detach, but then next you have to be able to prioritize and attack whatever the highlight items are. So for me, it's setting a list. Sometimes it's a physical list on my phone, on my notepad or whatever it is, or it's just a mental note. If I'm in the middle of something and saying one, two, three, here's my top three things I have to prioritize when I get out of this, I need to go, let's have a staff meeting. Let's degress. Let's talk about it. Let's have a quick after action review and then let's execute. All right. It's not just prioritize. You can prioritize things, but if you don't execute on them, Rocky, then you're ultimately not getting any better. So for me, it starts in two stages. The first is to detach. And then the second stage is prioritize what you need to do. And then last, you better be able to attack and execute whatever you prioritized. You mentioned meetings, and I know you've got a lot. And and of course, a, a great day would be to only have maybe one or two, but I have a feeling it's a lot more. How do you know the proper amount of meetings. And I'm sure that as the season gets underway, it's going to be quite different than when the season's fully in, in swing or, or you're approaching the, the playoff season, I'm, I, the number of meetings. But how do you, yeah, how do you determine that? Man, when you get that answer, please let me know, Rocky. I'm still trying to figure <laughs> that out. Uh, I don't know if there's a perfect formula. I definitely have not found it. I know this. I've seen I've seen the negativity that can arise from too much meetings, and I've also seen it arise from too little. If I had to err, I'm going to err on meeting more because one thing I love that John Gordon again says, where there's negativity, where, where there's a lack of communication, negativity fills the void. So anytime where you leave things unknown, I think just as human beings, we're kind of designed and hardwired to say, oh man, he probably meant this by that, or she meant that. We're going to take the negative side of it because that's just how we're hardwired. When I found myself over communicating, it always brings down those walls and it allows the positive energy to come back in. Because when you do communicate, people feel like they're invited, they're invested. You're pouring into them because you're trusting them with one of the most important things here, at least in the NFL, is knowledge. It's, you know, injury knowledge. It's things where we can discuss interpartmentally of, hey, this is what's going on with our team. This is really important. Obviously, this stays here, but let's talk about how this is going to impact our team and the global outlook of it. When you when you do that, you show trust. So the amount, the perfect amount, I don't know. I have definitely not found that because the other side is you're meeting in multiple different areas and there's so many crossovers. It could be a sports science meeting or it could go down into our mental health committee meeting. There's so many different areas where you're meeting and they're all important, Rocky. That's the unique thing. Every one of them deserves attention. And once again, being able to prioritize that and then really dive down into it and be present where your feet are and making sure that you're giving all the information you need to and communicating at an elite level. If you communicate really well, you will be a probably, you'll probably be a really good manager. Coach, you bring up research um, several times now and, and, and you're diving in. And so we have evidence-based training, evidence-based fill in the blank afterwards. But then there's there are things that are emerging that do not have research backing up because there hasn't been enough time for it to gain popularity, for somebody to choose to do the research, for it to get reviewed and eventually published. I mean, we're talking anywhere between five to 15 years for something to actually have research back behind it. So here it is. There's evidence-based and there is exploratory. Are you meshing the two together? And if so, how, how do you do that? I always say this. We live in a balance of 
ideal world versus realistic world. And I think this is anything. This applies to business. This applies to life. This applies definitely to performance. So for me, the ideal scenario would be there is something that's not just 10, 15 years in. It has been studied for the last half century, and we are 1,000% confident this is the best way to do something. Then there's the realistic nature of we live with schedule you know, limitations. We live in an environment where we just got off a Monday night game. We basically lost an entire day of preparation. So how do you handle your Monday and mitigate the stress of the physiological trauma that the players just went through and fast forward your game planning and everything else and then marry all that together? That's an ideal versus realistic situation because realistic is we got to deal with it. Ideal would be we have a Sunday to Sunday all year at one o'clock and we just figure out the game schedule. So for me, it's balancing that. But when something shows you subjective feedback is one of the most important things that we collect, Rocky. So talking to our players, investing in coaches, our front office, our owner, our general manager, getting the subjective feedback of how they feel, what's going on and getting that feel is one of the most important things. We just had a wellness questionnaire today where one of the things we talk about is, you know, tell us how you feel. Tell us how your stress levels are. Tell us all these things because subjectively, if we've built the trust that our players are honest with us and then we have a deeper dive into, okay, coach, I need to adjust a couple of things for the practice schedule today because our team globally is at an increased soreness level and here's what my concerns are. I might not have pure biomarker data because we're not taking blood every single day and we're not able to show him, hey, here's the evidence base, here's the myoglobin levels, and here's where our players are right now. I can say, coach, our team is banged up. We came off a very physical game. Here's why we're making these adjustments. And here's what the forecast is of how it'll pay dividends going into our next competition. So that realistic versus ideal nature comes up literally all day, every day, Rocky. So I like that question, but it's finding the balance of those because at times you do have to rely on evidence-based research at times, you do have to go with your gut a little bit, and hopefully more times than not, your gut is married with what the research is telling you, or at least guiding you. You have to be well-informed on both. Yeah, uh, really nice way of answering that. <clears throat> and not to get too, uh, uh, too, how would I say it, too biased, but you, you have so many wheels that make up your machine, and they all serve a purpose and a role. And if one wheel is missing, the machine is not as strong and may not efficient and may not even work. But when it comes to the different elements that are under you in regards to player performance, are there those that really personally excite you that give you a little bit more curiosity, energy, and so on is whether it be mental skills and sports psychology to fueling, to sleep, to training and performance, to sports science of, of, I don't know, velocity-based training or um, force plates, or are, are there, what are the, what are the avenues that you kind of turn your head and go, Ooh, that's cool. I, I, I need to kind of pay attention to that. I love it. And the first thing I'll say is how you do anything is how you do everything. So absolutely everything equates into meaning something. I love that you touched on uh, mental health, sports psychology, that's something that's obviously within the last five, 10 years, I think we're going to continue to see this trend of people being willing, vulnerable, and able to talk through certain things, because we all deal with them, especially in today's age of the technology of the cell phone, of everything that we deal with, just getting people able and willing to talk. I do believe in the future, in the next 5, 10, 15 years, we're going to continue to see an influx of people being willing to do that. And therefore, I think we're going to see this huge shift where guys are benefiting and girls are benefiting from sports psychology and some of the things that we can get there. 
Some of the other things you touched on sports science wise, I mean, the force plate is something that's fascinating to me over the last five to 10 years, the amount of knowledge that we have gained from assessing players, whether it's force velocity profiling, looking at neuromuscular fatigue ratings, and then comparing that to maybe even salivary biomarkers, things like that. There's so many things that we can dive down into there that help us maximize our players, reduce the risk of injury, and ultimately make sure they're ready to perform at an elite level and win games. Those things are are always interesting to me, but I think when you look at it and combining all those things into one, typically talent acquisition is something that people don't necessarily always think about, oh, does the performance person have an impact? Absolutely, because everything that we do when we look at a player, number one, from a biomechanical standpoint, we're looking at how the athlete moves, which I believe is something that's going to transcend. And I think camera motion tracking, motion software analysis, I think that's going to continue to grow similar to what sports psychology will, because we're trying to find ways to gauge guys really to measure players talent acquisition wise from the combine or from free agency how can we say this athlete is here but here's what we project them to be able to be so we're looking at biomechanical analysis we're looking at some subjective measures there but we're also looking at a lot of objective data so over time that's going to help us answer the question is is this person a philadelphia eagle because if we're drafting a player if we're signing a free agent that's the ultimate question that we have to answer so i'm fascinated by you know how we do this and our gm is phenomenal howie roseman does an amazing job but being able to set the table because the fact is this, Rocky, if a player spends time and invests in their nutrition, invest in their training, that same player is probably likely to invest in more film time, in more extra meetings with their coach, which therefore are all going to lead to a higher likelihood of success. So when you dive deep down into some of the background information that we collect on guys and how we test, whether it's objective and subjective feedback with our talent guys, with our pro personnel, with our with our front office and the college guys, we're looking at all those qualities because those will match and create a player that's better prepared to go out there and dominate football games. Oh, okay. We can open up a big can of worms <laughs> on this one. Can't we like the combine it's been going on for 30 plus years and it started with some basic concepts, but what we find is that it's not the tell-all, obviously. And in fact, there's many athletes we could probably list off both hands who did very poorly on the combine and maybe even got drafted very low in the sixth, seventh, or eighth round and yet are Hall of Fame players. So the combine doesn't give us everything. In fact, my question about the combine is, if you had your way, is there anything you would change? Oh, man, probably a lot, Rocky. I think the short ah. answer... There's, I think, anywhere where you gather 300 plus athletes, 330, 350 athletes, it's an incredibly tough job just from the traveling logistics, as you can imagine. So from us medically, the big thing that we take away from the combine, we're, we're obviously MRIing certain things. We're looking at a lot of stuff from a physiological standpoint, injury history path and some of those things. We're trying to answer those questions. So I think the big thing when you look at how you assess the measurements at the combine and, and how you take away because you made a fantastic point about how about the players that don't necessarily, you know, produce great results at the combine, but they end up having Hall of Fame bounce careers and they have all these great accomplishments. It comes back to almost what I said, if you're hiring a staff member, hire the person first, you know, so if we're drafting a player, 
we have to make sure that that player fits the mold of what a Philadelphia Eagle is. And with that come intangibles. The intangibles that we fit that mold into are not 40-yard dash times. They're not vertical jump heights. They're not bench press numbers. They're, are they hardworking? Are they competitive? Are they tough? Do they love football? Do they love the sport? Are they willing to work hard? Are they an absolutely great person? Do we get all positive feedback from their teachers, their coaches, the people they've surrounded themselves with? Those are the intangibles of what ultimately creates someone who you want to have in your building. And that athlete obviously has to have a prerequisite level of skills. And we're getting that from film digestion, from watching them through their college career and then testing and evaluating. But the big part of that is the intangibles. Are they the right person? Are they a Philadelphia Eagle? Do they fit and mesh with what we're trying to build here? And when they aren't, like, how, how do you know that? Uh, obviously, they're they're not exuding what you just explained. But what if they appear to be? Like, are are there any times where you're going? Mm, I don't I don't think you're an eagle. All the time, you know, and that's why there. I mean, our personnel department is is big. It's hefty. We have a lot of people that are devoting a lot of time and a lot of energy to this. And ultimately, that's the exact question we're trying to answer. You know, it's not the draft rate is never going to be a thousand percent. You're never going to hit on every draft pick. There's obviously ways around it. And there's phenomenal people that are coaching players, you know, how to answer questions and how to set themselves up in interviews with GMs and, and with people at, at clubs to answer the right way and to put themselves in the light of getting drafted higher and making more money. So for us, it's finding the holes, you know, digging down and doing that deeper dive, just that one little extra layer that maybe the competition isn't willing to do. So devoting even more resources and diving down even deeper to answer those questions, because ultimately what I would rather answer is, are they a Philadelphia Eagle? Then give me all of your testing data. That Philadelphia Eagle piece is what's going to carry us on to championships. If we bring the right people into this building. Well, it's and it's worked in the past. So I, I imagine that recipe for success continues on. Not to delve too much into your, your private life, but I'm I'm curious for myself. I'm, I'm married uh, happily. So for 23 years, I've got two kids that one is um, an adult and going on an, a great path in her education. And my younger one is is doing the same almost out of high school. And for the last, I would say, 20 years, my priority has been to raise to raise my kids to the best of my ability. And my career is a vehicle that allows resources for me to do so. But the number one priority is for for to to take care of my wife and kids. Um, that's that's got to be hard for you. How do you, with the role that you have and the enormous amount of time devoted to your career and work, how do you, how do you marry the two? Yeah. Once again, still trying to do a great job of it and learning every year, I would say, but I can tell, you know, you're motivated by your children, even the way you talk there, Rocky, you perked up and I love it. I'm the same way. So for me, do my intangibles, do what I'm calling my core values, everything that I say I'm about. So for me, the other thing that I try to live by is faith, family, and then football in that direct order. So for me, make, making sure that I'm doing the right thing for me as a faithful person, and then making sure I'm putting my family first and foremost. And then football drives a lot of that. Football has allowed me phenomenal things to meet some of the best people in the world, to live in a home that we live in. It's provided everything for our family. So I owe a lot to the sport and the game and the people I'm around too. But from that, you have to make tough decisions. And part of that I'll start with this is when I made the decision to leave the Los Angeles Rams and come to the Philadelphia Eagles, 
It was a tough decision. It was a tough decision for a lot of reasons, not because I had heard how amazing Philadelphia was, Mr. Lori and Jeffrey and, and everyone that was in the building. That's exciting. So for me, if I'm looking at selfish, I'm like, yeah, I can buy that. But I was in a phenomenal situation in L.A. with Sean McVay. We were in the middle of a Super Bowl window. We had just went to one. They would eventually go to another one and win. So I knew we were in that window, and I loved the people that I worked with. We had built great trust and great relationships. Sean is still one of my favorite people in the world. I love that guy. And he taught me about a, a lot about leadership. But when I made that decision, if I look at that in order of faith, family, and football, Rocky, I had to look at Los Angeles, for me, growing up in Michigan, is like you live in another country. It's hard. It's hard to get family to visit you. It's hard for me to take time and to vote back so that we can travel back home and see family. So I go through this life, and my children were young at the time, and I'm looking at how often have they seen their cousins? How often have they have they been able to better be around family where it's not through a FaceTime or a Zoom? And that started to make me sad because I thought about the blessings I had as a kid getting to grow up with my family. So when the opportunity rose, this was, this was a great opportunity geographically to get a little bit closer to family. My family can drive now eight hours and be here, whereas opposed, they used to have to drive to the airport, then fly to LAX, then drive to our, I mean, just if you've ever been in LA traffic, it's nothing to mess around with. So for me, that was a tough decision to leave an incredibly, incredibly good and fruitful experience that I knew we could continue to grow from, but take on a new challenge professionally, but also, man, in the background, having my family be in a better setting. And then in the middle of that, COVID hit. So like timing couldn't work perfectly because my family was able to come down. My parents got to come and spend time with the kids through that whole process. And that's been something that I know has led my children to be more productive in what they're doing. And they're growing up in a great community now here. We love the city. We love where we are. We love the fan base. We love everything about it here. And that was a tough decision. But looking back now, it was 1000% the correct one, Rocky. So living by those standards and then finding time. The other thing I'll hit on is this. When I do get time at home, it's setting my phone to the side, throwing that away and being present. Be where my feet are. Do I always succeed? No, there's times my phone blows up and I have to take care of certain things or jump on a call. But when we get time in the summer is really our big time where we get a little bit of downtime. It's being present, shutting the phone off, being with my children and being in the moment, being where your feet are. That's the hard thing. But when you do that, that's the fruitful one. And I feel like that is what if I can continue to do that, I'm going to lead a successful life as a father, as a husband. And that's way more important than anything I'll ever do professionally. Okay, so your kids, they're they're Ram fans or they're Eagles fans? <laughs> they're all Eagles. They're all Eagles. Fans. <laughs> it is. They're, 1, 000, they're getting to the age where they understand it. They have favorite players now. It's it's awesome, man. That's great. And and to have family nearby, whether driving distance or nearby, that's that's gotta be a big thing. Okay, something kind of off the cuff here. You were a farm boy, therefore you developed farm strength. And, and there's been talk in the few, past few years about farm strength versus gym strength and, and the, the functional capacity uh, difference between the two. So I'm going to pose this kind of idea to the Eagles organization. What would it be like to have farmland near your training facility and to actually do some farm strength workouts compared to just being in the gym? What do you think with that idea? I, I love it. I love it, Rocky. Now we got to work around the CBA and the collective bargaining agreement. And the <laughs> There's going to be some, some holes there. Our legal team's going to have their work cut out for them. 
But honestly, like joking aside, I do feel, you know, grip strength, some of the carries, some of the, some of the things that we mimic in training now look awfully similar to what it looks like growing up on a farm and carrying heavy things and doing some of that work just from rotational aspect and everything else. You're onto something, Rocky. I think you got a you got a business there. We just all right. Great. When, when we both retire, we'll talk about combining this. I love it. That'd be good. But, Coach, this has been great. I, I really, I mean, this, it, we didn't talk once really about any kind of strength drills or program design because that's just one small wedge of the pie in, in, in the whole kind of recipe for your success. And, and I really appreciate you delving into other aspects of this. And, and we, we didn't bring up like you growing up as, as a kid and your sports and and, and the different teams in which you went through to get where you are, which maybe that, that's for another time and another episode. But if people want to, well, here's one thing. Before I, I ask like how we follow you and so on, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's a cheesy, easy question. What books are you reading right now? Ooh, so funny enough, I will reach. It's literally right next to me. But this is current one, John, Max, John Maxwell. So the 16 Laws of communication and obviously john maxwell's been around a long time i just finished outlive by peter atia i just finished be where your feet are funny enough uh there's a i read probably a book a month at this point rocky so that one i'm a little sick i read while i do cardio because for me i'm maximizing my time so i'll do strength training or whatever my daily routine is and then when i'm on the stairmaster the treadmill walking whatever it is i'm reading and taking notes on my phone so right now like we had talked about trying to be an elite level communicator i have to spend time i need reps i need to study i need to make sure that i'm developing myself in that realm but also i need help you know john Mac maxwell is one of the most phenomenal communicators in the world at this point and he's at 75 years old or whatever it is now it's still doing it those are phenomenal lessons so right now that is kind of where i'm devoting my energy once again leadership personal development trying to learn to communicate better those are the things that i'm reading typically now and when it comes to like social media obviously we can go to the eagles website and and linkedin is where we connected but do you do you post anything outside of that instagram or anything else I don't do a ton. I am on Instagram. I don't even, I think my, the Ted Rass strength coach, I'm not even sure if that's accurate. I probably should know that Rocky. I've, I, I'm going to try to get a little bit more involved because the one thing I've taken away is this. I do. I love following certain people, whether it's a motivational expert, whether it's a training expert, a researcher, there's some phenomenal information out there. So I'm going to try to get on there a little bit more. So you can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, X, whatever it's called now. And obviously LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, I know your time is limited and the fact that you gave me so much of it is is a true gift that I'm grateful and appreciative and and I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your experiences, your strength and in your hope for the future which I wish, wish you the brightest for the season and beyond. I appreciate it, Rocky. I really do. I, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Great questions, but really once again, thank you for what you're doing and the platform that you're giving people in this profession. You're doing great work. No, it's my pleasure because I get to connect with guys like you. Thanks again. And that brings this episode of the Zealous Podcast to a close. I want to thank Ted and the Eagles organization for allowing this to happen in the middle of a season. You would think that he couldn't put time aside, but darn it, more respect to him. He gave us some time in a very busy schedule. Speaking of schedules, uh, just put this in your calendar. If you want some continuing education, I will be in Arizona at the Chandler Community College 
with the Arizona State Clinic for the NSCA. That's going to be December 9th, and I'm going to be talking all about applying functional anatomy to strength conditioning and rehab. And then at the end of January, the 27th, 28th, I'm heading back to Boston to Physio X Physical Therapy, where we're going to dive deeper into closed chain biomechanics, understanding static and dynamic assessments and strategies to get people out of pain. Until next time, have a great week.